It's great to be with you all. I'm Pastor Dave Mitchell, and we welcome you again uh, on behalf of Calvary Church and these terrific folks that are going to be heading out. They have a wonderful message to tell. We want to talk a little bit about that message in our current series on 1 John. We began last Sunday. We continue this Sunday as well. And you have an outline that you will find handy and helpful as we explore a certain section of God's Word of 1 John 1, 5 through 2, 2 together. And uh, this morning we're talking about this area of the world that we call Turkey today. It's in what we call Asia Minor in John's day when he wrote this. Probably about 80 or so A.D. is when he wrote these letters. He probably wrote out of a city called Ephesus to the surrounding churches that were in those communities that you see there in that little area of Turkey and uh, Asia Minor uh, across the sea from where Greece is. And so John had a compassion and a passion for these people. And our passion and our compassion before the Lord is to give out this wonderful message of Jesus Christ and how He is a life-changing Savior. I want to talk about these core things that you and I should be all over, all in on, and we're going to show you how that makes a difference in people's lives. We began last Sunday and looked at 1 John 1. Let me just do a little tweak on what we saw last Sunday. In verses 1 and 2 of 1 John 1, it says, What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, we have seen and testify and proclaim. John wants us to see it, to testify and proclaim of this good news. That's why these folks that are heading out from Costa Rica to Albania and world in Thailand, on regions of the world all around, they have a message to communicate as well. But this part of this message has to be true in our lives. I love these words that I have underlined, to hear, to see, and to touch. Let me put a little twist on that particular verse as we look back and then go into today's passage. The Apostle John was a man who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of Revelation. And there's one thing that John knew, he knew Jesus Christ. And so he says, the things that I have heard, the things that I have seen, the things that I have touched. You and I need to have a relationship like his with Jesus Christ. He heard about Jesus. He heard Jesus tell about who he is. And so in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John tells us about the nature of Christ. He's fully God. He's fully man. He came to pay a price for our sins, to be our sacrifice on that cross so that we might know that we have eternal life, 1 John 5. And so there are things that we hear of the truth of Christ we need to know. There are things that we see of the reality of Christ. We see what difference He makes in people's lives. John 11 is the wonderful passage that John records in his gospel. It's the story of Lazarus who's died. He's four days days dead in the grave. Jesus raises him from that grave, and John sees this dead man come to life. That's something you don't forget. He records it because he says, I have seen this. I've seen the difference that Jesus makes. And then thirdly, he has touched Christ. John, at the Last Supper, would lean on the chest of Christ. As Christ spoke of the blood, the cup, the bread, his body, and shared about the death that Christ was about to die the next day or so. John says, I saw the resurrected Christ. I touched Him. I saw the holes in His hands. I experienced Jesus. 
And here's the true life. Here's the reality of what Christ should make. For you and me, He is the Word of life. And my prayer is that every one of us who claims Christ as Savior, we know we have heard the truth, we've seen evidence of the work He does in people's lives, and we've touched Him in some sort of a special way where He's touched my life. He's changed me. I'm different. I used to do this, but now I do that. He's improved my marriage. He's changed my habits as a student. He's improved the way I work for my boss. He's changed the way I treat my neighbors. He's changed me. And that's what we want. So that's the core of this life of Christ, the true life that God's called us into. And then John goes on and records in verse 5 this message. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. We have a message to tell. We want to reveal who Christ is. If Christ is in me, I've heard, I've seen, I've touched, and He's changed my life, then I've got something to communicate, and that is that God is light and that in Him is no darkness at all. Now, what is he referring to? John loves the metaphor of darkness and light. So what that God is light and there is no darkness in Him? What does that mean for us? Well, John recorded in his gospel these words of Christ. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have a light of life. And so when John then says in his little epistle of 1 John, he probably is thinking back to the words that he heard Jesus say and that Jesus is the light of the world and that means therefore I follow him and when I follow Christ I'm no longer walking in darkness and Jesus otherwise defines darkness as evil. I don't do what is wrong, I now live what is right and righteous. So God is changing people's lives when I have the true life of Christ in me He's actually changing me so I show it as I follow Him. I live it. Jesus also said in John 3, 21, But whoever does what is true comes to the light. That would be Christ. Why? So that it may be clearly seen that His works have been carried out in God. It should be clearly seen that God is working in my life. When I'm walking and following Christ, when I'm living in His light, when He's shining His light to penetrate the darkness of sin, then it changes me. I look different. I act different. The concern is that we have people that maybe think they are Christians. And because they're not Muslim or they're not Jehovah Witness or they're not Buddhist, they're not atheist, therefore the last choice is Christian. Well, God wants to clarify that. And that's what John is going for today and next Sunday. Clarity as to what it really means to live in the light, to follow Christ, to be clearly seen that God is changing me. Because there's a lot of people who just say they are Christians, but there's not a reality of a walk. Let me give you a little video that helps to fine-tune that thinking and sort of crystallize some of what we want to say here in just a moment. So take a look and listen. I 
I'm a furniture maker. I guess you could say I've been a furniture maker all my life. I was born into a furniture making family. My father was a furniture maker. His father was a furniture maker. It's in my blood. <laughs> well, what would you say you love most about being a furniture maker? <laughs> what don't I love? Um, the smell, that aroma, when you, when you enter the workshop of walnut and heart pine and oak, it's the smell, it's the smell of potential, you know, like I like to just take a piece of wood and, 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 and work with it and just dream. You know, what's this, what's this going to be? You know, who is this table or this desk or this chair going to belong to someday? And, you know, and then there's, there's also the, um, the community part. Um, I love that. You know, it, I often get together with other furniture makers and talk about design and, you know, swap furniture making stories, you know, and talk about the latest article in the furniture making magazine that we read. Um, yeah, I, I, I love that. I mean, it's, I know, I know, it's, it sounds dorky, but, uh, you know, that's, that's who I am. <laughs> what would you say is your very favorite, you know, out of everything that you've done? What is your favorite piece mm. of, of furniture? Mm. 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 Um, I'm sorry? Um, I said, uh, you know, out of everything that you've made, what's your favorite piece of furniture? Well, I, I actually have never made a... A piece of furniture? What? Uh, like, you've never made anything? A chair or a table or, you know, mm. ashtray? No. How long did you say you've been doing this? Oh, 18 years. Okay, so in 18 years, you're telling me you've never made a single piece of furniture? Oh, look, I mean... Furniture making is, is is so much more than just producing things. Okay, it's 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 a way of life. Okay, this, this is this is my identity. This is what I grew up on. I mean, this is what I've invested in. That's what I that's what I think about. It's what I dream about. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. It's just it seems like if you're going to call yourself a furniture maker that you maybe should have made a piece of furniture. <laughs> well, I didn't know we had a, an expert in furniture making here. <sighs> well, I don't even, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually, I actually feel kind of sorry for you right now. Why? Yeah, you're so, you're, 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 you're so narrow-minded. 
f- furniture making furniture making is life okay and and there's not anyone that i know there's not a single person i know who is more committed who's more dedicated to the art to the ideas of furniture making than i am and i am proud of what i do i will tell the world nay i will shout to the world i am a furniture maker I don't like grab me. I think you sort of get it, right? But just to elaborate, there's a lot of people that say, I am a Christian. I love to hang out with Christians. I love to come hear a band play Christian music. I love the feel and the dynamic of Christian community. I even sort of appreciate some of the concepts that God says in his word that they're helpful to me. And I love to be in a building like this and just kind of be with people that seem generally kind of happy and contented. I sort of like that. So I am a Christian, but they are not. You are not. And John is going to the core of those that say one thing but don't really do it. There are some people that say they're Christians, but they don't believe that Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man, died on the cross, paid for their sins. If they don't believe that, no matter what they say about Jesus or as a Christian, they're not Christians. And so we need to have the reality, the real true life that Christ has died for, so that we are not like this man, loving the smell, loving the feel, loving the dynamic, dream about it, had a family that was Christian, but I never really lived the life in a day-to-day basis. So John's cutting through all that garbage so that we can have the true life. And he goes to that issue here in verses 6, 8, and 10. And the reality is that John says we need to be honest about the problems we have. We need to be honest about the sin the failures, the shortcomings. I need to be honest with that. If I'm not going to be honest with that, then I'm just like the guy saying I'm a furniture maker when, in point of fact, I am a phony and a poser. And so John then goes on and describes in verses 6, 8, and 10 these things. Notice how John puts it. In verse 6, if we say we have fellowship but sin, if we say we have no sin, if we say that we have not sinned, these are three false statements that reveal the unreality of a faith in Christ. You can't say those things and truly be a follower of Jesus. You can't say that and say that you're living in the light of Christ. You may like to hang out with Christians, but you're not a Christian. And so let's break that down. Here are the three areas. The three false statements are these. Darkness, my darkness. I think my sin does not matter. In verse 6, John again, going back to those three verses. If we say that we have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's harsh. Furniture maker would say that's pretty narrow and tolerant, but it's reality. And so we're not here to sort of make everybody think that they're Christians so they feel okay. We're 
bringing the truth so that we know that whether we're a Christian or not, we can clarify that. And if we're not, we can make something, we can do something about that. And so John says, if you say that you have fellowship with God, but you walk in darkness, sin, evil, you're not living the life. You're a poser. Here's an example. I once had a conversation with a Christian psychologist. She identified herself as a Christian psychologist because I was going to do a wedding for a couple and uh, she was their premarital counseling. So I inquired about the couple. We talked about what it means to be a Christian and to be married and to live out the life and the priorities and the values of things that I would emphasize that she would emphasize. And she said this to me. She said, I think it's good if a couple lives together before they get married so they can really measure whether they're going to have a good compatibility in their relationships. I said, really? She says, yeah, I'm living with my boyfriend right now to find out whether I should marry him someday. I said, and and you're a Christian psychologist? Yeah, I'm a Christian psychologist. I believe in Jesus. Well, there's something troubling in my mind, and maybe you don't have that same value system that I believe Scripture teaches. When you say you should live with someone before you get married, sort of like she said, well, you don't buy a car until you test drive it so you can make sure it's the right car. Well, then why not live together to find out whether you can have compatibility? And what we didn't explore is that those who live together actually have a higher divorce rate than those who don't. But beside that... The reality is that God speaks about darkness and her inability to see in the darkness of her value system the sinfulness of her own personal life as well as those that she's recommending to enter into that sinful way of life. For us to not declare those things being wrong is to deny the truth, to not practice the truth. And so John says, if you say You have fellowship with God, but you live that way? This isn't me. I'm the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. But the reality is, he says, that you lie. You're a liar. And so there are those who live in darkness and think sin doesn't matter. There are those, and secondly, in verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. I rationalize and redefine my sin. The word deceive is that wonderful word that you might have heard me say before. It's the Greek word planeo. We get the word planet from it. There are some people that so deceive themselves and so redefine themselves that they're orbiting around their own value systems where what they're doing is not sinful because in their own value systems, it's okay. But they're not orbiting around Christ and His value system. They're not orbiting around Christ and His words, His truth. And when you don't orbit around Christ, you're deceiving yourself. You're redefining sin. So that for you, what God says is wrong becomes right. That's deception. Here's an example. I had a couple that came up to me one time in another church in a faraway place and said, you know, we're having trouble in our marriage and uh, we're not really connecting well. There's not... uh, intimacy like we would like it to be. And this guy's a leader in our church. He taught one of the adult Sunday school classes. And so I said, well, I'd love to, love to help you out. So I met with him and uh, we talked about this, that, and the other thing. I sat for a couple hours in their living room couch and tried to discuss 
well, what, what could we examine? What are the areas that we could discuss? And, boy, nothing really came to light that was sort of glaringly obvious, like, well, that's, that's, there's your problem. And then after we discussed all these things for two hours and tried to ask questions and penetrate sort of the thoughts, he said, there is one other thing that maybe, I don't know, maybe it makes a difference. I said, well, what is that? He says, I've got a whole bunch of pornography in my closet in our bedroom, and I use that for my own selfish desires. Do you think that maybe that's part of the problem we have? I said, yeah. I think you're on to something there. And this man has been deceiving himself that this, as he, as he called it, this is what he said, it's my own special kind of love. That's deception. Where he takes something that most of us in this room that would say, you know what, that's not right. And obviously that's going to hurt your marriage. And he self-deceived and redefined and and then didn't understand how he was orbiting around the wrong thing. And it was destroying his marriage. And we fleshed that out and tried to bring it to a better place. But that's that kind of deception. And then finally, there are those who really live in denial. Verse 10, If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. So three times John says, if we say, if we say, if we say, but we don't do what we should do, then what you say is simply a liar and we're making God a liar. And so there, is the, there are the deniers, those that stubbornly refuse to admit, I've got a problem. And if you don't admit you've got a sinful problem, you'll never go to a Savior and have that solution applied to your life. You can't do it that way. You can't say, I'm okay. I I love Jesus, I believe in Him, but I'm okay. And I live in denial about the reality of the sin of my life. i got to do something about it. Three of the biggest deniers that are out there, and I say this cautiously because there's a lot of less obvious sinful deniers, but here are the three biggest that I've noticed in just my experience. I don't have any statistics to back it up, but number one, addicts. Addicts can be big-time deniers of their problem. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, any number of addictions that we may have. There's lots of people. Oh, I can. I, we have a friend right now going through a divorce, and her soon-to-be estranged husband is an alcoholic, and he repeatedly gets drunk and angry, but repeatedly tells her, "I could stop any time." He's a big-time denier. Second area of big-time deniers that stubbornly refuse to admit their sin, think they're okay, are abusers or slash angry people. They abuse as a parent, as a father, authoritarian figure, and they boss their kids around and they scream angry things, maybe even throw things. But they're just trying to have control because they want their children to grow up with good discipline and good work habits. But they're nothing but abusive people. Sometimes between husbands and wives, a husband tries to be the head of the household, but he abuses the authority that he has and puts down and harms and emotionally damages his wife, thinking, I've got to be the head of the household. They can be big-time deniers. And the third big-time denier are adulterers. I had a man that in another church in a faraway place said to me, as his wife accused him of adultery of another woman in our church at the time, And I said, are you doing this adultery with this woman? I named her name. 
absolutely not. I don't know where my wife gets these crazy ideas. That's just a complete lie. Why would she make that up about me? So he was pretty convincing. And then we caught them red-handed in their adultery behavior. And it made me realize the adulterers are wonderful liars. Because they can commit adultery and go home to their wife and act like there's no big deal going on. Or vice versa, a wife to the husband. These three areas reveal how well we can deny and stubbornly refuse to admit that I've got a problem. And John writes this letter to us so that I can face the reality of the denial, so I can finally move beyond the problem to the solution. That's why John gives to us that solution. God says in verses 7 and 9, we need to trust in the power of Christ because He changes lives. First thing that he says in verse 7, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us. So we go to Christ, His sacrifice, this is basic core stuff to most of us in this room, but His sacrifice on the cross is the cleansing of my sin. He can't cleanse sin that I won't admit I commit. And so we have to have the reality that says, yes, I do that. Yes, that's my problem, but I need Jesus to cleanse it. We're not asking people to become better sinners We're asking people to become born-again saints in Jesus Christ. Let Jesus do the change, not manipulate you so you sin a little bit less, but just get rid of the sin. Why not just get rid of it? Why not just admit, I do these things. I commit these acts. I'm indulging that behavior. That's my thought process. That's my attitude. And I don't want to do that anymore. So why not just to admit? And John says, admit it. Confess it. Bring it to Christ. Let His cleansing work change you. And then not only change you, but notice, we have fellowship with one another. It changes my relationships with people, with my spouse, with my parents, with my children, with my coworkers, with my classmates, with my neighbors. It changes behaviors. It changes relationships. And so I trust in the sacrifice of Christ. And how do I do that? I confess that sin. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all all unrighteousness. You know, there's not a sin that Christ will not forgive. And this word confess, homo legeo, I love the Greek language, homo meaning same, legeo meaning to say or to speak, logos is the noun for word. He said, I speak the same thing that God speaks about my behavior. I come before God and says, God, I've got this jealousy problem and you're right. I'm wrong. And I want to say the same thing about it as you say. Change me. God, I've got this anger problem. I lash out in ways or I have this bitter chip on my shoulder attitude. And God, it is wrong. I don't want to be this way anymore. I don't want to be the known as the person that's got the chip on the shoulder and it always seems to be pushing the buttons of other people to antagonize them. I don't want to be that person. God, I want to say the same thing about it that you say and that it's wrong, but it's repairable. So I want Jesus to cleanse me. God, I've got this adultery problem. I lust all the time with the woman over in the cubicle on the other side of the office. I've got a problem with that. I admit that I've got a problem. I'm no longer going to be the denier or the deceiver. I admit I've got a problem. And so Jesus, I know what you say about that and that it's wrong. And I'm honestly coming before you and saying, God, I don't want to be that person anymore because I know it's destroying my family. You begin to say the same things about it that God says. But that's not all that God says. He says, 
okay, now we've identified the problem. Let me bring the blood of Christ and change you. Because again, God's not trying to make us better sinners. He's trying to turn us into this born-again saints who believe in Jesus. And those things that I've done, they're gone. Kind of a reminder to help in that is this great little screensaver we put on our website, carverylife.org slash series. If you go there, you can download it to your phone, your iPad. So every day it's a constant reminder, God, I know I've got this problem, but God, I know that you want to change me. I know that your power is going to change me and the blood of Christ is going to cleanse me, that Jesus is going to make it as if it never happened in my life. So I confess that I say it to you. So every day there's that gentle reminder, say, yes, Lord, I'm going to keep short accounts with you. I don't want it to be a constant portion of my life. So change me. God loves to do that. And He knows that as we make that commitment, as we have the true life of Christ, we're honest with our sinful problems. We allow the blood of Jesus, His forgiveness from that cross, to change me and to make me different, new. Then I know that I begin to grow in that relationship. And as I grow, I know that I am not free of problems. This is where John then continues to help us. Because Christ wants to continue the journey. It's not like, okay, now I'm saved and everything's okay. Okay, now I'm saved. The journey begins. And Christ wants to continue to care for us. Notice what he says in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 1. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus wants to be our advocate. I love this word, advocate. It's the parakletos word, Greek, again, para, meaning come alongside like a paramedic or a paralegal. Kletos, to call, to counsel. So Jesus is in heaven now, and He is our defense attorney. He stands in heaven before the Father, and He pleads our case to God because He knows that Dave Mitchell is prone to sinning. I can sin like everybody else. And so Jesus has to be my defense attorney. I was in a jury duty a couple of weeks ago and sat there for two full days waiting to see whether I get on the jury panel. But we sat in the courtroom and there was the defendant and his defense attorney and the district attorney. And the judge then rattled off the 12 counts of child molestation against this 30-year-old young man. And it was just pretty disgusting, actually, to sit there and listen to the 12 counts. And so I always look at the guy. He looks, he looks so good. How could he do that? Well, the defense attorney stood before the judge and says, we plead not guilty. This man is not guilty. And so the judge says, okay, well, let's put him through. And we listen to all the jurors being selected. They finally got a whole panel of juries, jurors, and they went to the trial, and it was a two-week trial. And I looked it up after the trial was over, and it turns out the, the jurors found him guilty. And so it was a horrible thing for the child that had to go on the stand and defend himself and explain what happened. So here, here is the way our system works. We get a defense attorney that we probably pay some pretty good dollars to. And the defense attorney goes before the judge and the defense attorney says, I plead for my client not guilty. But in the course of the trial, he was found guilty. Here's the difference with Jesus. Jesus takes us on as a client. We become the defendant. And Jesus takes us before the judge who was his father in heaven. And Jesus stands before the Father and we're standing beside Him and our defense attorney goes before the judge, God Himself. And what Jesus says is this. Here's Dave Mitchell. He's my child. I plead guilty. And we look at the 
a lawyer. No, wait a second. You don't want to plead guilty. Let's see if we can angle ourselves out of it. There's a loophole somewhere. No, Jesus says, I plead guilty for David. But Father, I'm going to make him innocent because he confessed to me. And so now he's okay. That's what Jesus wants to do for us. You and I, we're going to screw up. We're going to say things and do things and be things that we shouldn't be. But I've got a defense attorney in heaven that is constantly pleading the case to the Father, saying, I will make you innocent if you come to me and let me be your advocate. So let Jesus be your advocate. Don't say you don't have a problem if you have a problem. But come to Jesus and let him get rid of it for you and with you. The second thing that we notice is that we need to reach out with that salvation and make it known to others. As 1 John 2, 1 and 2 goes on to say, the last part underlined, propitiation. Jesus is the propitiation. I just put another word in there, satisfaction. Jesus satisfies the anger and the wrath of God. He satisfies the fact that God has now forgiven us. God is satisfied with whatever we've done, however bad it may be. God is satisfied when I come to Jesus and let Him be my defense attorney. Not only for ours, but for those of the whole world. We need to take this message to the entire world. That's why I'm thrilled. From Costa Rica to Albania and in between, bringing this message of true life that comes through Christ. So we come before Christ. We follow Christ. We admit our sins. We allow His blood to cleanse us from all sins as we confess or say the same thing that God says so that I can take that message out there and let Christ continue to care for me.